Welcome to the Popcorn for One fortnightly podcast. Grab your popcorn and make sure you're sitting comfortably. Popcorn for One is about to review some classic and not so classic films for you all to enjoy. It may even want to make you watch these films yourself. It is Wednesday, the 26th of April, 2023. Welcome to Popcorn for One, your fortnightly film podcast. Besties, we good? I hope so. I really do. I hope you've all had a fantastic fortnight. I have. It's been rather chill and it's actually nice to get back to doing this fortnightly. Yeah. Or it does mean we've got a lot to cover. So we will start, as always, with exactly what I have been watching then we will be looking at what you've been watching then we will discuss the mandalorian season three spoilers and i will forewarn you about the time before it like we did the last of us and then we will do this fortnight's big review doesn't sound like a lot but based on how long i've talked about certain things recently as a one-off we might be here a little while let's go let's do this and thanks for the listen let's have fun It's time for everyone's favourite part of the episode. It's time for the rundown. This is going to be one of the reasons why this is a long episode. Because I've done a count up. There's 17 items here. Which means you'll get six of them, 16 of them. And also, you won't get the Mandalorian. Ah! This is what happens when it's Easter and you're off. And there's no sport on for a little bit. And you just watch films and all your TV shows come to an end. This is what happens. It really is. (sighs) Let's go, shall we? Bank holiday Monday. I was sitting here and I was writing up some reviews. And I was just like, well, we'll just put what's on the telly on. Because there's normally a good bank holiday film on TV. There's normally something that's come out in like the last couple of years. uh, ITV or Channel 4 put on as their premiere. And their six o'clock film was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. You know by now what my theory, my feelings are about dinosaur movies. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm not a dinosaur girl. I'm sorry, I didn't get that as a kid. Um, I went straight from Disney to action movies and serious action. Well, I say serious action movies, comedy action movies like Die Hard. Although Die Hard is serious, although I've just grown up with it. I digress. Um, but yeah, um, I saw. I think it was about half an hour in. I found it. And I was typing up and I was watching that and I was busy planning my podcast um, for last time. So I watched Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It was all right. It's basically average. Um, Chris Pratt trying to crawl away from that lava ridiculously slowly is the funniest thing in the film. Um, I get the clone thing. Um, I love that um, it's Rafe Spall as the villain. Um and it gets even more twisted. It's all about people's rights and what makes a person a person. I get that. But at the end of the day, I think there's two Jurassic Park when I was three. I've seen the first and I've seen the second to last and the last. Um, I know I've probably got to catch up on the rest of it. I've also known the meme of the dinosaur going, Alan, at um, Sam Neill. But it's average and dinosaurs aren't my thing. Therefore, me only giving it Two and a half stars isn't fair judgment on it. But that's that. 
Then um, I was going through what was new on all the streaming services, lots of things, release stuff over Easter. I was like, it was good to see what I can watch and what I can do and what's going on. Um, and the new Guy Ritchie film, Operation Fortune Ruse de Grand, um, is on Amazon Prime and it had been advertised everywhere. So I was just like, you know what? We'll watch it. I remember seeing the trailer for it in cinema and then being like, well, why has that suddenly been pulled? Why has that not happened anywhere? And it's had a theatrical release in most places, but it hasn't in the UK and it hasn't in several European countries. It's just gone to Prime or whatever the streaming services that will pay for it in that country. And I was watching it and I was halfway through it and I was like, why is it? Why was this pulled? Why didn't that happen? And then something happens right at the end of Act 2, start of Act 3, and I went, that's why this film got pulled, because the subject matter is grim. And you sit there and you go, yep, I can see why we pulled that last March. And if you think about what happened in Mar- at the end of February 2022 in March, yeah, you understand exactly why that was pulled. Hugh Grant is the best part of the entire film. Um, there are actual moments where you watch it and you go like, yeah, that's a Guy Ritchie movie, yeah, he does this, yeah, it's good. Um, it was quite clever how they all worked as a team. Um, also, it's quite weird um, because obviously they hired Josh Hartnett's character, who's a movie star, to talk to the villain to get into his personal lair. Um, and obviously this film would have come out around the exact same time as The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, where obviously Nicolas Cage is... Um, hired by the super fan to go and do that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but they would have come out around a similar time. So it would have been interesting to have seen who would have fared best, whether it would have been satu- market saturation. Also, we need to talk about, and this is a spoiler for people that get it, the fact that two of the guys in it are called Trent and Arnold. It's a Guy Ritchie film. If you get that, congratulations, you're on the same wavelength. Where was Alexander? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I had fun watching it. Um, people said it was slow, but I thought it was pretty fast-paced. And I liked the fact that it was, like, people tripping over each other and it all being a bit of a mess. But I, that works for a Guy Ritchie movie. I don't want a serious... I want a serious Guy Ritchie movie, but I want a serious Guy Ritchie movie that knows what it's got to do. And I think this film does do that. So I'm very happy that it does. I then went to the cinema the next day because I was still off from work on holiday and I went to go and see uh, the new Ben Affleck film. We will not be talking about that. It is my big review of Fortnite. Yep. Who would have thought that? Not me. Um, then, obviously, I was still off and it got to evening. I was like, well, we'll put on a film and we'll do this and we'll do that. And um, I'd recently written a review for it and uh, I put back on The Parent Trap and as much as I'm now an adult and I know how they did the parent trap and how they made it, it's still a case of, I'm sorry, I said, what? And it's clever. And we mentions to Concord early on and all sorts of stuff going on. And there's a meme going around at the moment where it's just like, hang on, if I had twin stepdaughters and I was taking on them, I too would be considering sending them to boarding school. Why was that ever deemed a bad thing? I've got a point. It's fun. It's clever and it's quite sweet and yeah, I'm glad I watched it as a kid. I'm glad I now actually appreciate it a lot more as an adult. Then the bond of fun continues. We got a license to kill. And Bond gets so dark. This is until we get to um, Casino Royale and Quantum. This is the darkest Bond gets. 
and I think that's why I like it, and I think that's why it's serious. I mean, there's nods. There's a point at the start where someone is, where um Felix um gives Bond a lighter, and you don't see that lighter for the rest of the film until we get to the end, and then he just grabs the lighter, and he's used all these gadgets, and all this stuff's gone on, and Q's come out, and the Bond girl's not an actual Bond girl. She's actually pretty decent. She's helping out, and there's a... Bond girl that loves him but he doesn't actually want to get with because he realises he should be with the other Bond girl and all this stuff happens but he just lights his lighter up and he just go yes Bond but if I am more than willing to stand on the hill and go if Timothy Dalton was allowed to do Bond in Daniel Craig's era he would be absolutely adored and loved and I think because he only did two and then because they wanted to go in a different directions so they got Brosnan in um, that's what makes him the best Bond. When the Bond of Fonda is done, and we have done No Time to Die, we will discuss No Time to Die, because I promised you that, in length. Um, but we will also then, that week, um, do an actual further discussion about how Bond's evolved. That's what's going to happen, okay? We're getting there now, though, because there's only nine left. Or is there? Um... Next, I went to the cinema and I saw the Super Mario Bros. movie. Peaches, 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 I love you. I'm so sorry, especially as the people that have joined this episode just to hear Mandalorian. You've just heard me sing. Um, my bad. That's why I don't sing. Um, Jack Black steals the show. It's really clever. Um, yeah, it's really average until we get to Peaches, Peaches, Peaches. And we basically get like a kid's version of Tenacious D um, with their infamous song about, I'll get it imported from Zanzibar because I can't call it that. Um, I'd love to call it that, but I will get taken off the internet. But yeah, um, it's clever. Um, Jack Black does still show. Um Go on a rainbow road, that's amazing. Um, but I guess kids love it. It did a job. It was fun. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, so that's good. I guess. Uh, then I went to a different cinema, and my friends messaged me. Um, I was I had kept Friday kind of free because my sister was meant to be moving house. Um, and there was a new vampire film that was coming out. I was like, oh, I won't watch that. And then when my my sister's house moved, fell through, but it's now back up and running again. You don't need to know that. I'm sorry, babes. I just told the internet all of that. But, you know, no one knows who you are. It's fine. You're fine. Um, but, yeah, so I was thinking, ah, I'll go see Renfield. And then my besties messaged me and went, we're thinking of going to see Renfield on Friday. I'm like, that's fine. I'll pick you up. Um, you can pay for me on your student card and yeah we'll go see that so we went to our local cinema the one that Harry Styles sat in and we watched Renfield and there was a point where my friend was laughing so much that she almost choked on her slushy <laughs> I found it really hilarious I don't know why it's bombed I'm guessing poor marketing and not having and as much as I love Nicholas Holt and he's a big name here and he's a brilliant actor I don't think he's a big enough draw to the rest of the world to be that, and I don't think the rest of the supporting cast were either. Um, Nicolas Cage is on a roll at the moment, obviously with the meme, um, but it was... I laughed. I had fun. I enjoyed it. It was graphically overdone. It was very clever, and it did lots of lore, and it is potentially set up for a sequel without being set up for a sequel. And there can be all sorts of chaos going forward. Um, but it's 
It's pretty darn good. I really enjoyed it. That's saying a lot. Then I was sitting there and on Friday morning when I got up, no, on Thursday morning when I got up, um, I get a message every day from Letterboxd to tell me what's been added onto various streaming services that I have. Um, not that I have that many, but it just goes, ah, so it go like, on Disney Plus is now the menu. And you go like, okay, brilliant. And on Thursday morning, it came up, Children and Men is on iPlayer, and it's on iPlayer for the next 14 days. And I was like, that's Saturday night? That's perfect. So on Saturday night, I finally sat here, and I watched Children of Men, and it is an absolute masterpiece, and Clive Owen is phenomenal, and so is Michael Caine, and Chitwell Ejiofor is so young in it, and Pam Ferris is in it. Uh, it just keeps going, and you just watch it, and you just think... You know what? Yeah, I think the government would do that. Um, we've recently, um, here for me, it was yesterday, um, we've recently had our first ever test of the emergency alert alarm um, to do that, which, you know, this film kind of like does at points and it's like, oh, you need to do this and these people can't be here and you've got to have a permit to do this and you've got to... It's like, oh, I could so see if the government would do that if that was the case and how things affect... Um, Julian Moore was really good in it and then um it's been out for years so it's fine um this is your spoiler she gets killed quite graphically and quite badly um the birthing seems pretty intense um it is a really interesting film and it's pretty thought-provoking and there's a lot of blood and guts and then it's suddenly that there's peace and that there's not and it's quite disturbing, but it is beautifully done. And why that film didn't win more awards or get nominated for stuff, I have no idea. What were you doing in 2006? Seriously, people, what were you doing? Because children and men deserve it. This is like last year when I sat here and I'd watched LA Confidential. And I was like, well, why the hell didn't that win Best Picture at the Oscars and then saw it was up against Titanic? I went, ah, yeah, of course it didn't win. <laughs> so, yeah, children and men... I know I've done a lot of apocalyptic, single, reluctant father figure things, which obviously we're going to talk about again in a minute. Um, but that's a really good, solid start for them all. Um, I'm glad I finally got to watch it as well. Uh, our Friday night watch-alongs um, moved to Sunday for some reason. I think everyone was busy and people were away. So we finished The Night Manager. I've talked about The Night Manager already on here. Um, it is peak fitness Hiddleston. It is peak acting Hiddleston. And it is absolutely stunning and amazing. Why is that making a noise? That shouldn't be making a noise. Sorry. If you heard that, that's my laptop going off. It's charging. What's going on? So, yeah. I watched The Night Manager. And The Night Manager is brilliant. And Hugh Laurie and Olivia Colman. Oh, it's just... If you've not watched The Night Manager, please do. Not just for Tom's ass. Then I went to my parents. And I was sitting there. And I got there early. Because there was football. And I was just flicking the channels. And they had the Matrix, and we watched from basically the very beginning, um, when he's going like Mr. Anderson, um, and he's trying to get out of the building on the phone, um, to the point where um he um goes to save Morpheus, and he fires all those bullets at him. Then dinner was ready, and I was like, damn it, um. But my mum was really impressed because I sat there and I was she was busy saying stuff. She's like, I don't really get this, and I kept saying lines about four seconds before it happened. She's like. Do you know all of this? I'm like, no, it's just about all of the iconic quotes in this film that you use in everyday life have about a three-second pause period. You can quote that, and then the film does it for you. She's like, oh, okay. 
I mean, I did one. She went, ah, I get it now. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I watched from Matrix. Um, still the best of the four. It's definitely better than four. Or three. And two. But, yeah. Without it, modern cinema wouldn't be where it is. 100%. Then, on when on Tuesday, the only thing for April, was a special day for me. Uh, the rest of Pedro Twitter will celebrate it on Saturday. But... I celebrated the unbearable weight of massive talent on the one-year anniversary for me because I saw it at an advanced preview. So I sat here and I tasted with Harry Gutierrez and I watched him and Nicolas Cage cause chaos. And it is still hilarious. And I didn't watch Paddington 2 straight afterwards, which is actually really good self-restraint. Yeah. It was fabulous. It's still fabulous. I know the memes taken over the internet now, but <sighs> yes, Happy G, you are always my sunshine. So weird that the two I adore the most of complete polar opposites, Yavi G, my sunshine, being absolutely beautiful and soft and those little curls, being the sweetest man in the world, and then Dave York, everyone's favourite stabby stabby, stabby stabby murdery. Ah, yeah, complete polar opposites, but both work. That's too much. Sorry. Um, I'm thinking about both of them now. My bad. We'll move on to the next thing. Um, I've had a bad run of things recently where I've been flicking the channels and I've just randomly put on film four as I've gone to bed. Um, one of them was to watch Air Force One. Ah, I watched it. Um, from the point where they kill the second hostage on the plane to the end. It's really good. It's still fun. And yeah. And it's still the guy from 24 that betrays everyone. What an evil guy. Boo. You made me cry, mate. You made me cry. Ridiculous tears and seizures in two of 24 and you died. And you betray Harrison Ford. Boo. Very continuing the Bondathon. Golden Eye. Brosnan. For England, James? Nah. For me. I'm guessing that in the 90s, when that came out, that film, um, everyone watched that, and when it was revealed that Sean Bean was the villain, we probably went, huh? What? I mean, I get it now, um, because it's so obvious from the beginning that he is who he is. There's all sorts of little ticks going on and things are being said, but it is him that's going to be betrayed. But the thing I love most about this film is the fact that when I type, I type with a pen in my hand, and I twist it, and I twirl it. I am pretty sure that in 1995 would have been like when I first got a small little computer or a little typewriter or something and I would have typed and probably would have watched GoldenEye probably in 98 doing all of this and I would have seen boxes in the pen while typing and I'd probably picked it up and done that. So yeah, I type with a pen in my hand <laughs> and I blame Boris. It's not a bad thing to blame before, but I blame Boris. Yeah. Then, once again, flicking the channels in the evening, just we're going for it, being like, yeah, I'm doing this, doing that, because I tend to watch a lot of telly on Thursday nights. Um, and Mission Impossible Fallout was there uh, from the point where they went, what time would you meet to, like to meet for Korea? I was like, hmm. You can't not watch Mission Impossible Fallout. So I watched Mission Impossible Fallout, and that's all I'm going to say, because I think every seven episodes sit here and talk about Mission Impossible Fallout, so we will move on. Uh, 
I've been to the cinema on Friday night straight after work, more of a test to make sure I can get there by five o'clock to watch a film because I know when it comes to Guardians of the Galaxy, I will have to do that in a few weeks' time. And I went and rewatched Missing because it's finally out. You should all go and watch Missing. Um, there was an episode of this um back in February. Um, please go back and listen to that. It's an amazing film. I couldn't find the hidden film within the film. I was doing so much Easter egg hunting and then it got to one point of realised I'm not Easter egg hunting now. I'm just watching the film. Darn it. But please, what's missing? Please, please, please. Saturday um, was just flicking the channels and I found The Rock in Rampage. I haven't seen Rampage for a little while. Uh, the Rock, big monkey, blows stuff up. Why not? I love the fact that The Rock, when he signs his name, signs it as The Rock and not anything else. It's like, yes, yes, mate, brilliant. But the CGI monsters are all over the place. I mean, we've discussed this earlier with dinosaurs. It's not my thing. Um, but it's a good film. Um, it was weird because it was on ITV2 and it was before 9pm, so they edited out certain deaths. It's like, okay, fine. I get it. But, you know, it was all right. It was bearable. Um, the Rock's pretty good. And... He delivers, and if you want a average sit there with some popcorn and beer action movie, you could do a lot worse than put on Rampage. You could do it much better, don't get me wrong, but you could do a lot worse. The final film I saw of the last week was My Spy. My Spy was on my hit list for 2020, um, and it was me- I had it booked up, and I was going to go and see it, um, on Friday and bush up country down on Monday and I was like well that's not happening <laughs> so I didn't see my spy and it's been really hard to find but it's just been put on Netflix it was put on Netflix about two weeks ago um, so I thought that is a perfect thing to watch on a Saturday night so I had my Chinese and I watched my spy and Dave Batista beats up a few people but not as much as he could um the kid's pretty cool the kid's actually i've seen her in quite a few films recently so when she turned up it's like, i know you you've been in two films i've seen a lot hey good on you um yeah it was an interesting story um there was a bit of a plot twist um within act three it's like hang on no 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 and didn't actually care that much about the villain um, I get that it's a kid's film in theory and it's teaching them all how to overcome your fears and how to do this and it's teaching him about acceptance and it's teaching the tech person that they are more than what they are. Um, so it's good life morals, but other than that, it is for your 11 to 14 year old um, and it happens to have Dave Batista in there to deliver the lines and to beat a few people up, which is fair enough. So yeah, that was my spy. That is the rundown. That took a while. That is my fault for watching the 17 films in 14 days. And The Mandalorian. <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> my bad, peoples. That was not meant to go on for 21 minutes, but it has. Well done. If you've got through this, may the force be with you. You've nailed it. It is time to look at what you've been watching at home and you have all been watching at the cinema for the last fortnight. We will start, as always, with your home viewing for the week up to the 12th of April. And there was a new entry at number one. And that was Avatar Way of Water, which is interesting. I mean, I get that everyone spent a fortune going to watch it in the cinema. Um, I still haven't. Um, it's still something that I'm trying to put off, but I know I'm going to have to eventually watch actual Avatar and then Avatar Way of Water afterwards. <sighs> but we will get there one day, maybe. Number two was Rodale's Matilda the Musical. 
Three, leaping back up the chart, was Elvis. Four was a new entry for Megan. Five was Top Gun Maverick. Six, because it was around Easter, was Hop. Seven was A Man Called Otto. Eight was Babylon. Nine was Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance With Somebody. And Puss in Boots for Last Wish was at number 10. We had a re-entry for June. I'm guessing that's because everyone's seen some of the pictures from it. Um, Ticket to Paradise and Don't Worry Darling um, also re-entered the chart. Um, so did, um, there was a rise for the John Wick box set, which rised up to 15. So you're all obviously still seeing that as well. So that's interesting for that week. On the 19th of April, Avatar did not move for that week's viewing. And it stayed at number one. Avatar Way of Water was number one for both weeks for your home viewing. Uh, Rodale's Matilda Musical stayed at two and Elvis stayed at three. Hop rose up to four and Top Gun Maverick stayed at five. Megan was at six. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was at seven. Probably due to um, the announcement that it's going to be an HBO series, which is very interesting. Um, Person Boots, The Last Wish was at eight. Ticket to Paradise leapt up the chart to number nine from number 28. And June Part 2 also leapt into the top, well, June Part 1 leapt into the top 10 at number 10. There were no new entries this week at all in the chart. Um, Harry Potter and New Order and Phoenix and DC League of Super Pets were the only re-entries for that week in the um, home viewing and streaming chart. It's interesting to see that that was the case, but that is what you've been watching at home. And now for the cinema. What did you watch? What did you watch for those two weeks? The weekend of the 7th to the 9th, which was the Easter weekend. Number one in the box office was Super Mario Bros. And that took £15.691 million. Good on it. Two was Dungeons and Dragons, taking £1.6 million. Three was John Wick Chapter 4, taking £1.2 million. And Air was at number four, taking £1.1 million. Good on it. That's a lot of films in two, three and four, so taking a million. Well done. Uh, five was The Pope's Exorcist, taking 700000 Mummies, which is a kids' animated film, took 173,000 at six. Shazam took 157,000 at seven. Scream 6 took 154,000 at eight. Creed 3 took 141,000 at nine. And Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, still hanging on in there, taking 73,000 at ten. Alleluia was also in the chart that week, and that took 73,000 at eleven. There was literally, there is £14 difference between Puss in Boots at ten and Alleluia at 11. Wow. Good on it. Um, there was a re-release um, in a couple of cinemas for um, The Life of Brian for its birthday. And that took £21,000. I'm very happy that that was the case and that people went to go and see that. No one near me was showing that, but that would be fun. Trying to find out if um, next week I can go and see Return of the Jedi in the cinema. No one near me is actually showing it. Um, but I'm hoping that they're going to add some extra times for it for Mac Holiday weekend because that would be fantastic. I'd love to go and see Return of the Jedi for its 40th anniversary. I mean, I saw Empire Strikes Back for it, so why not? Now for the weekend of the 14th to the 16th of April, Super Mario Brothers stayed at number one, taking 7.5 million. Dungeons and Dragons remained at two, taking 1.1 million. John Wick was at three, taking 800,000. Uh, 
Air took 700,000 at four. Renfield was the highest new entry, taking 680,000 at five. I'm not sure why that didn't actually do that well. It's very weird. Vampires are in Nick Cage's, in, I mean, Nick Cage's the um, meme. I know that it's for Pedro Pascal or Javi Gutierrez meme, but it was still Nicolas Cage as part of that, and he's Nicolas Cage. So why that didn't do so well, I have no idea. Sue me, um, I'm me. I have no idea if I've got that correct. I should have really asked my friend who went to go and see that. I would have had to pronounce it, but I'm sorry. That took 460,000 at six. The Pope's Exorcist took 420,000 at seven. Mummies took 276,000 at eight. Shazam took 105,000 at ten. And um, part of the um, opera and ballet season for the National Theatre, took 96,000 at ten. So it dropped off quite a bit after the week before when there was a lot out at Easter. Obviously, everything is waiting because we all know we're going to hit the Guardians um, soon. So everything slowed down a little bit. Nothing else wants to release within that time frame. Uh, Puss in Boots is finally out of the top 10, but still took 81,000. Good on it. It's been in the chart for 11 weeks. Um, but yeah, there seemed to be a lot, especially in the early teens, there was a lot of National Theatre or Royal Opera House um, things going on, which is very interesting and good to see. Um, so that was happening there. That's what you watched in the last fortnight. You watched Avatar at home. You watched Super Mario Bros and Dungeons and Dragons everywhere. And you, well, at the cinema. And then everywhere, you're all having a bit of a mooch at Puss in Boots. And he's just constantly standing at about 10, which is interesting to see. Considering, you know... That's been your home viewing and your cinema viewing. You've all been very busy people, haven't you? I am about to talk to you about The Mandalorian Season 3. There will be spoilers in this. I will be talking about it in great detail. If you have not watched The Mandalorian Season 3, please skip the next 20 minutes. There you go. That's your warning. You'll then get to my big review of a fortnight. If you want to know... Let's go. It's time. It's time we discuss season three of The Mandalorian. Obviously, there is about to be spoilers, which I've pre-warned you about in the bit before. So I don't know why I'm saying that. Mainly because I've not actually said that because I will time this and then we will tell you that. So yeah, this was chapter 17 to 24 of The Mandalorian. Obviously, we had um, recently, I before it all started, I rewatched season one and season two. I didn't rewatch the book of Boba Fett mainly because I watched that within the last year. Um, but in a nutshell, Din had previously taken off his mask um, to say goodbye to Grogu. Um, Grogu had gone off to Jedi training for a few years, but he had been given the choice of whether he wanted to stay and train as a Jedi or return to um, Din, and he decided to go back to the Mandalorian. So that's where we uh, meet them. They are on their way to Navarro, and they are off to go and have some space adventures. Now, season one and season two, I love the fact we were side quests and that it was all things to lead up to one point or whatever. However, one of the things that I've always thought about is that I don't know enough about Mandalorians. I've only met like six of them throughout the show. Where are the rest of them? There's got to be more. They can't all be dead. So in the fact that this filled in a lot of Mandalore lore, which is quite funny. Um, yeah, 
um, I was quite grateful for. I understand that a lot of the fandom were like, where are Din and Grogu adventures? Why is this so slow? Why have we gotten a whole episode dedicated to the guy that was Moff Gideon's um, person um, for the uh, cloning? Why have we got an episode based on him? Why isn't there more Din in this episode? Why isn't there more Din in that one? I understand that, but... I want to understand more of the Mandalorian world. I'm very happy with that. Okay, I would have loved some more Din and Grogu. Obviously, who wouldn't? Um, they are the reason we watch the show. You know, back in 2020 when I got Disney Plus, one of the reasons I got Disney Plus was to binge the Mandalorian um, and to make me feel a little bit better that I could just click on a button and watch Disney films whenever I wanted because I was in a dark place. And Dylan Grogu got me out of that in the six months that I had Disney Plus and I watched season one and season two. So that was very much a... Ah, we get it eventually. Um, so episode one is interesting. It's just reintroducing you to a few themes that are going to go on. Um, to, it tells you that Dylan removed his helmet and that he got Grogu back and that he wants to rebuild IG-11. And we also get the line um, from the, um, what's it? Oh, I can't remember what they're called. Um, the Anzalians, that's what they are. I'm going, bad baby, no squeezy, no squeezy. That was iconic. That will be iconic. Um, I could have bought a T-shirt with that on from Star Wars Celebration, but decided not to. I'm now really regretting it because it dates when you went as much as everything else that have Star Wars Celebrations dates when I went to it, it's still like, oh, darn it. But um, we also find out that Bo-Katan's going to be much more to it. Episode two, we go to Mandalore and see what it's all falling about. We also see Pelly. I love Pelly and love the fireworks. It's just like, oh. um, and Din gets properly beaten up and Bo comes to save him, thanks to Grogu. Um, but... Um, Din goes to bathe in the waters of Mandalore and we all sit and go, like, oh my God, oh my God, it's happening. He's going to take his helmet off. He's going to do it. Oh, and he takes off his jetpack and his cape and his weapons and then sinks to the bottom because he's made of tin. And then the Mythosaur is in the bottom of it and Bo sees it, but no one else does. Like, oh my God. And then she spends the majority of the next episode being like, did you see anything? He's like, no. And then they go back to the armor and both prove that they have been redeemed as Mandalorians. That is also the cloning episode, which was really clever and really good. And I love the background filling. Um, then in the next episode, the foundling, um, we train Grogu a little bit. And um, we have a fight to save um, Vaz's children um, from being taken by the weird reptile birds, which obviously Din helps him with. Um, we also see that Grogu is saved um, from Order 66 by um, a fellow Jedi who was actually the voice and body double actor for Jar Jar Binks in the sequels. And oh my God, yes. Ah, so glad he got his screen time. Um, we are loving the... Um, prequels at the moment our generation because we were all aged up and we were now suddenly online to go going like you know what all the older lot moaned about the prequels and now we're all here our points are valid why did anyone ever moan about them we'll get to that next week when we do um, star wars day um but that's what happened um in that episode um and uh, Bo's armour gets repaired. Um, then they, um, Navarro is attacked by the pirates after what happened in episode one. Um, and the Mandalorians go to save them. And uh, the armourer sends 
bow off to go and reunite all the Mandalorians. Um, then we have um, a bit more of a side quest episode um, compared to the um, previous ones where Bo and Din um, work out what's going on with Joyce. This is also a quite weird episode because it's got the most cameos in um, because we have Lizzo and Jack Black, who is living the moment right now um, as the rulers of this planet. And we also have Christopher Lloyd, who is um, the bad guy in it. Um, we also find out what um, is going on with the droids and what's going on. And Din hands over Darksaber, which he never wanted. But we see within this episode how far he's come with using it and how he's now so well trained in using it. And it's a bit of a shame that he, he hands it over so willingly. We understand why, but it is to unite them all and prove the point. But ultimately, when we get to this point in a minute, um, it's a bit of a like, oh, okay. So we spent forever. I know that Din never wanted to rule Mandalore. I understand that. He just wants a happy life, earning his money, getting his best scar, and travelling the galaxy. Nothing wrong with that. I completely understand that. That would be quite like what I'd like to do. Um, but he was finally learnt how to use it a bit, and he gives it away. It's just like, oh. Oh, well. Then we find out in the next episode um, about um, Moff Gideon still being alive and kicking. He wasn't killed on the ship with the pirates. Um, and that Admiral Thorne is busy um, creating a clone army somewhere. And that he wants some more Grogu. Um, and we also see um, Commander Hux, who obviously um, in the sequels... Is played by um Brendan Gleeson, and in this, his father in it is actually his brother, which is brilliant casting, and I love that. That's just like yes, well done. Um, but we go back to Mandalore. Um, after we get IG twelve, which is a rebuilt version of um IG eleven, and Grogu walks around in it, and he basically um goes yes, yes, no, no, and hacks people off in it. Um, but then um they go to Mandalore um and. Din gets captured and various Mandalorians rushed to safety and tried to save people. And we sat there for an entire week, busy going, Din has no weapons. Din's got his um, whistling sparrows and a very small gun, maybe a knife. But he's got no major weapon. He's just been kidnapped by dark troopers who are wearing Beskar. He's going to Moff Gideon. Bo's surrounded. Grogu's hiding. What's going to happen? And it was called the spies. We all sat there going, like, there's got to be another spy. There's got to be another one other than just um, the girl from uh, the public informing Moff. And the theories were coming out. And we were all petrified because we all know that um, Pedro, because Pedro is now the most popular man in the entire world, not just in acting and not just in our little bubble, um, but the rest of the world are adoring him, obviously, because it's taken you all long enough. Ah, I'm really looking forward to just being our little group back and just safeguarding them again. That'll be nice if that's the case. Anyhow, um, yeah, so we all just sat there going, oh no, what's going to happen? Obviously they killed Paz, so his sons and got this. And have they kept Luke alive because he knows where Luke Skywalker is? Have they kept Luke alive to brainwash him? So then he turns on all the Mandalorians. Will he betray them? Will he do this? And will he do that? Because Star Wars, in theory, doesn't usually give you a happy ending. You just sit there and you're like, oh. 
And knowing that what was that they've announced that there's going to be a film at some point to tie it all up, and that there's at least one, there's only at the moment we know there's one more series of Mandalorian. It could and Dave and John have said that ah, it's not necessarily all um Din as a main character anymore. Just like one of them's getting injured, one of them's forgetting the other one, one of them's going to have to betray someone. Ugh. So we were so happy. When the following week, not one of our theories came true. Um, the moment Grogu walks in to save Din from Moff going, no, 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 on IG-12 was, ah, oh, I had a cry at that. Um, Din quite easily got out of those um, dark troopers. Um, the light beam wall, that was brilliant. The Mandalorian battle, that was insane. And I was pretty sure that Wolf was going to, Wolves was gonna die and he didn't. Um, all the Tie Fighters coming out, that was amazing. And then Grogu using the Force to save everyone was just. Oh. He saved his family. That's what mattered. He saved his clan. And then finding the Forge and all the Mandalorians all being together and realizing that no one betrayed him was like, yes, this is beautiful. And then Din standing there going like, well, can he be my apprentice? And he's just like, no, no, no. He's like, well, what if his parents gave permission? I'm like, well, they're not here. He's like. Well, what if I adopt him? Oh, Din! Oh, Pedro's adopting more kids. I mean, Grogu was already technically his kid. We all had that as law, but now it was like, oh, oh my God. And then they went back to Navarro to secure a marshal and they lived in their little house on the edge of the world. Um with him just balancing frogs and Din just sitting on that bench looking happy, waiting for his next job to come in, waiting for him to fly across the galaxy and from Team Vision to be a Mandalorian. And it was beautiful and it was perfect and we got a happy ending and we were just... Oh! It worked. It so worked. And we were ready for the heartbreak and the gut punch and all of that. And if that is it, and we don't revisit them for a little while, and we keep making these other bits of Star Wars, I'm absolutely fine with that, because it, we will see some more of Din and Grogu. Disney can't not show us those two, because they bring in so much money. I mean, I'm looking at my shelf right now, I'm looking at that being like, yeah, as much as my parents reignited my Lego build, there's a lot of Din and Grogu up there. Tiny and shiny. Yeah because they are my comfort. I've talked about this, about I have comfort films, and talked about the fact that Gavin Stacey's a comfort show, but Mandalorian, during those lockdowns in 2020 and 2021, got me out of some pretty dark places. Kitchen floor resets, some swapping jobs, being in the middle of a global pandemic, hitting 30 and being like, well, what's my life now? I can't see anyone, what's going on? And it was salvation to just randomly go to bed at night and think, I'm not going to cry tonight, I'm going to put on Mando and sit there and watch the two of them and have that emotional breakdown at the end of season two. Yeah, to quote the Mandalorian, they mean more to me than you'll ever know. Oh. I love the fact we saw other parts of Star Wars. There were some bits of this that were so Star Wars. It was just like, yes, this is fan service for me. And there were bits that weren't, but there were bits that I could understand. Like, Din is still your Star Wars guide if you're new to it, which is brilliant. And 
it works. I know that the haters, I know they do, I know they moan. However, what is life if we aren't all a little bit different and we don't all agree on it? If we all agreed on the exact same thing, everything would be boring. So I like having the discussion, I like hearing other people's opinions on it. Um, one of the things that has really got on our nerves this season um, is one of the body doubles. Um, Pedro is always extremely grateful and always tags and always says that Mandalorian Dindajarin is a collective and that it's a village that makes up that one character because he doesn't always wear the suit. And one of them has been really irritating on social media at the moment and our group is just like, we're not dealing with this anymore, we can't. He's getting on our nerves. Especially when Pedro then posts something up that day, being like, oh, thank you, mate, for being my... doing this and doing that. Now, I understand the story why um, Pedro didn't remove his helmet. I do. Pedro? Din. You, you know what I mean. Um, because he spent all of that time trying to get redeemed, and he's back there. Um, we were petrified he was going to be tortured and it was going to be forcibly removed, and we're like, well, technically he's not removed it, so he's not in trouble, if that's the case. Um, but it was weird to not see it when we've seen it in the other two seasons, and we've seen it three times in total now. It's just like, okay, Din. Mm. Mate. I understand why that upset people. Um, obviously, I've seen Pedro's face a lot. I don't necessarily need to see it in a Mandalorian. The voice is more than fine. And there's a point where he's on his knees and there's a point where he's sliding and there's a few little kicks and bits that he does and you go like, I'm pretty sure that was Pedro in the suit that day. I know he didn't do all of it because he was filming The Last of Us at the same time. Um, but you can clearly see when that helmet is a different helmet as to when Pedro's in it because Pedro has a much wider visor for him to be able to see through the top of it. He can't see anything anyhow, but he can see a bit more than the rest of them. So you can clearly see that. Um, I'm glad he wasn't tortured. I'm glad I didn't die um, because I think that might have ruined me. <laughs> um, I'm glad he didn't betray anyone. I'm glad that we got um so many um other stories. I'm glad we went to Mandalore. I'm glad we got battles. But I wasn't as heartbroken with parts of it as I thought I would be. Um, I still laughed quite a bit because at the end of the day, Din is your comedic entry to Star Wars with a little baby that he carries around to teach you about responsibilities. That's what he does. That is Din Dejarin's job. Oh. I love the Mandalorian. I'm not going to sit here and moan about it. I mean, I've been talking now for 16 minutes. <laughs> it's, it is comfort. And I know that there's haters and there is people going like, well, why isn't it more like the seasons we've already had? Why aren't there more adventures? I think we will get more adventures, but I think it might be that we get an episode about um what's happening in Mandalore and then they call up Din and go, uh, Din, we've got an issue. This has happened and he's on, but I'm working for the New Republic. And then he comes back and then he realises what's going on and then him and Bo go off and they teach Grogu and they fight what's going on. That's what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen going forward. When we get that, I'm not sure. Obviously, we've got Ashoka and a Skeleton Crew and the Acolyte to come. Um, but... We will probably get that soon. Um, I know that season four is apparently already written. And that we're already thinking about when we're going to film it. Um, well, also we've got Andor to come. Oh my God, Andor season two. 
Oh, sorry. Um, but no, it will still be good. And I think it will still be true. And I think now that we know some so many more new characters within this universe, um, it's easy to expand on it. Um, I know that a spin-off of a spin-off is a bit much, but you never know. Bo and um, Axe could go and sort some stuff out somewhere and then bump into dinner and we follow Din. That's what's going to happen. Oh, I love The Mandalorian. I am very happy with how season three played out. Um, I can understand why people didn't like some episodes, but I like the fact that it told stories and we learned a lot more about it. And we learned a lot more why some people did one thing and some people did another. Um, I was never a bow hater. I know people are. I know people don't like her character, but I always thought she was good. There was no one I ever really was like, but I was just like... I was worried that she might have killed Din to get the Darksaber, but the second that she didn't kill him and leave him to drown in the second episode, I was like, okay, maybe she has got a bigger plan here. But then when she didn't, and she was just like, well, actually, I just want a clan of some sort. But that makes sense, actually. You're feeling lost like the rest of them. You, you're, you've got leadership skills. Prove it. And it proves that Mandalorians are best together and separate. Which is the ultimate thing at the end of the day. That is the point. And some of the visuals were so stunning. We're not talking Andor levels of stunning in um, episode 6. But it looked like peak Star Wars at points. Definitely. That is my review of The Mandalorian. That's taken 19 minutes. Oh. Oh, it was good though. It was. Thank you besties for listening to this. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um. Because I know some of you are listening just for this bit. So, hi, girls. Um, and guys. And they's. And eyes. But I know it's been a pleasure to watch it for the last eight weeks. Wednesday, today, is going to be weird, right? Because there's no Mando. I'm not going home, rushing home, or rushing to my parents to go, Ah, I'll watch Mando. It's not here. <sighs> but in the end, I guess, this is the way. Watched quite a bit of new content this week, including obviously you've heard some stuff on um, Amazon Prime, which is new, and various trips to the cinema for big films. However, the fortnightly big review is for air. Who'd have thought that at the start of the two weeks? Not me. No way. I was pretty sure it was going to be Super Mario Bros., but no, it's air. If you know me, and you've listened to this, or you follow me, or I talk to you, you know I have a thing about Ben Affleck. Not that kind of thing, don't worry. No, 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 no. Um, I am fully of the opinion that Ben Affleck is only good when he writes and directs it. Because he knows how he wants to perform, and he does it. And he nails it. Which is good. Yeah, I mean, I know that he directs it in a way to make him look good, but that is, that's the point. Or if he is in Gone Girl. What a film that is. I love that film. I might have to watch that. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Um, so, I was very intrigued when I suddenly saw this in the cinema for a trailer and then was like, Ben Affleck directs. Okay, that's good. 
And he directs it well. He directs it very well. Considering we know exactly where it goes and when it ends up in a particular place, because um, for those of you that don't know anything about it, it is about trying to um, sign Michael Jordan for um, a training sponsorship in the NBA. And uh, Nike, Nike, however you want to pronounce it, um, have no money and their basketball division's failing and they decide, right, we're going to design a shoe for just one guy and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's Matt Damon um, going around trying to convince him that it should be the case. And Viola Davis is Michael Jordan's mum and he goes to meet her and various things happen. And there are various different speeches in this film or things that people say. And whether they happened or not, whether they were on recording, I'm not sure. But there is a moment where Matt Damon delivers a monologue to someone to get a point about something. You just sit there and you just think, yeah, I'd sign for you as well. That proves that Matt Damon's still got it. He doesn't need the cameos, he doesn't need the little bits, and he doesn't need the CGI things. That proves that Matt Damon can still deliver those lines and be so commanding and so brilliant in a film. And you really do feel for him... Um, and you feel for a few members of the staff at points where things happen, you just go like, okay, and I love the fact there's a scene when Matt Damon's character talks about um what Adidas, Adidas, um or um Converse are going to say to him in their pitch meetings. And he just sat there, and I was sitting there, I was desperately hoping, come on, we need to see these pitch meetings, because we need it shown that this is happening to all these people, and... And it does. They say the exact same thing and there's this power struggle and there's this and there's that. And it's really clever how they do it. And you just sit there and go, yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm glad we got to see that. Because there'd be some films where they might then mention it where we'd be like, oh, hi, how was your meeting? And like, but they actually showed it and I'm glad that they did. Um, I love the bits where they have the little montages of Michael Jordan and what he became and his life and what he did and the power that he had and how fame isn't for everyone and how he coped with it that was quite cool um but ultimately it is a story about little guys and putting their jobs and their necks on the line to try and get a job and how it all got there and okay i get that nike nike um are now this huge global company and do this and do that and there's all sorts of lawsuits and things like that going on however there are actual humans that are behind the scenes that you see in this thing and you do just sit there and just think oh poor them and you know it could have so easily just been a film about michael jordan busy going like i don't want these jews i want those ones just going like oh okay that's fine um which ultimately at the end of the day is however it is done through the side and the face of the people that are trying to speak to him and trying to nurture him and negotiate with him and oh, I sat there at the end when it came up with uh, this is what happened in the end and this person did this and that person did that and what lawsuits happened and what happened Michael Jordan which obviously we all know that Michael Jordan went on to become the greatest basketball player of all time probably <laughs> I don't watch enough basketball to know about it I'm sorry my basketball knowledge is very limited. My basketball knowledge is basically playing it at school and being in goal 
because I could throw the basketball a long way because I had the position of netball, but I couldn't actually dribble because I was good at netball. So I used to play in defence and do that and just launch the ball up the field and everyone go like, whoa, why is she ever up the field? I'm like, I don't move. What do you mean you don't move? I'm like, I get the ball and I pivot and I do that. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Or my basketball knowledge is from comedy movies, <laughs> which isn't probably the best place to get that. Um, it is a sports movie. It does show bits of it, but it's not an actual sports movie where you actually see that many people play basketball, if that makes sense. It's more of a, oh, okay, this is how it all set up. It's before Michael Jordan's career starts. We watched some highlights of him throughout it, but it is mainly about um how industry and in the 80s and 90s worked and how this is that and i love the joke about air jordan going like, oh, it'll grow on me and he just keeps and going like oh yeah that'll grow on me and you just think yeah that's good it's well acted um ben affleck does do a good turn matt damon's phenomenal um and i left the cinema i'm feeling like i knew a little bit more about um how sponsorships work and about how you can rise from being nothing to being everything and suddenly it all then falls apart on top of you. That's all. That is still the case. That is all still pretty creepy and a bit like, oh, God. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I can see that it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of terminology going on. And I like the fact that we kept looking at his um, code of conduct about what Nike is and what they do. Um, that was pretty cool. And there was a few quotes thrown about. Um, but they did become a bit sporadic once the film got going. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that because then I didn't want suddenly there to be like text on the thing being like, you can achieve this if you know. I'm concentrating now on how much red are going to be put on these trainers and whether Michael Jordan's going to get a fine or not. I had no idea about that. <laughs> but no, I would thoroughly recommend Air uh, if you're up for a very talky drama. Um, again, Ben Affleck is really good at directing. Um, not so good at acting, but it is well worth your time. Um, this will be a film that you will one day you'll sit there and you'll be flicking through your movie channels or your Netflix or whatever you subscribe to, and you'll just see that it's got Air starring Matt Damon. You'll go, oh, that's the Michael Jordan film that someone said was all right. I'll put that on. And you'll sit there and you'll get to the end of it and you'll be like, well, what the hell was that about? And you sit there and go like, oh, some people are active people there. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what you'll feel. And you'll feel it in a good way as well. So, yeah, I highly recommend that you all go and see Air. Um, if it's still in your cinema, good for you. If it's not, my bad. But it's worth your time, definitely. <laughs> And that is that for this fortnight's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. It's always really appreciated. But, you know, you probably give up a small amount of your time every now and then to listen to me. It's really, really is appreciated. Um, next episode will be on the 10th of May. Um, we have two back holidays in that gap, so expect lots of film watching. Um, also, there is um, Star Wars Day on May the 4th. Um, I actually have plans on May the 4th. Why is that the case? Ah, We'll still talk Star Wars Day, though. Don't worry. Um, but until we get to that point, 
you know where to find me. It is popcorn underscore four underscore one on Twitter, Instagram and Letterboxd. And it is popcornfor1.co.uk for the actual blog. I will get some more posts done, I promise, especially with all these extra days off. Um, But until then, look after yourselves, be good to one another and the rest will take care of itself. And I will see you all on the 10th of May. Take care, besties. Bye.